Hello, welcome to episode 39. It's myself and Nathan Simmons. Nathan is a leadership and coaching expert with over 20 years experience across many continents. It's an excellent episode. I took loads of tips away from this and hopefully you will too. So enjoy. So Nathan Simmons, thanks very much for um, joining me today. We're going to be talking about a topic that I know a lot of people are going to be interested in, which is, well, coaching and mindset within the contact centre. Um, I think contact centres lend themselves to people that are kind of drawn to people or process. I'm definitely the people side, um, so I'm really looking forward to this. Um, thanks very much for coming on. You know what, Martin, I've been itching to get on and have a conversation with you because of my history, your history, those joined up experiences and just bring some of that into a conversation where we can talk about it honestly just to kind of demystify some of the stuff that's floating around I think. Great and well, let's start with your experience then what can you bring us you know in a potted history up to this point? Yeah definitely uh, 23 almost 24 years of leadership experience I've got my first management job when I was 19 I've worked in a multitude of industries across multiple continents um, all the way from managing door security, nightclub door security teams in some of the grottiest clubs in the southeast, all the way up to managing the customer services for Time and Fortune magazine while I was living in Amsterdam. Um, so there's a real eclectic mix of stuff going on. And then over the last nine, ten years, whilst working in car insurance, contact centre environment in finance, I've been really focusing on leadership psychology personal development coaching leadership coaching and all the elements that go with that and that's really brought me up to this point in time so over the last two three years i've been working delivering leadership content into FTSE 250 organizations hastings direct um, hilton food ag bar to name a few of the people that i've been working with and sharing some of these i say what i do is i teach uncommon skills in uncommon ways that get incredible results because I've seen how things don't work. I've made epic mistakes myself. And as a result of that, I'm then able to kind of do the deep reflection and go, hold on a minute. Actually, if we shifted like this, it looks like, and then test it in real time with people and see the results that they can get off the back of it. Uh, and that brings me up to right now doing the coaching and the conversations with you and, and seeing who else I can and, uh, impact and support. Is that, that journey and those kind of, eclectic experiences in different cultures and the highs and the lows of um, success and then learning from the, the kind of failures was is was that then the prompt to say you know what I think there's something there that I I want to share because you didn't th feel like it was being um, dealt with enough yes in, in, in the shortest answer I can probably give to it, yes, exactly that, yes. Martin. <laughs> it doesn't make for good interviews. So no, this is, it's a closed question on my part. No, 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 no. It, 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 my brain is already going in 15 different directions from it. The key thing is, and I learned it a few years ago, is this phrase, is the thing that you lack is the thing that you're meant to give. So what happened around eight years ago, my daughter was just about to arrive almost to the date. She's born on December the 4th. Um, and I'm having a crisis of leadership. Uh, my team is getting mediocre results. And it doesn't matter how much I shout at them, sing their praises, how many packets of Haribo I give them, doesn't matter. Doesn't, nothing's moving. They're sitting there kind of just underneath uh, top, of the, um, you know, top of the pack with everyone else, but everyone's really mediocre. And the target was 40% and we're lucky to get 33%. And I'm having this crisis. If I can't get this group of people to work in a professional environment, how the hell am I going to be a decent father to this small child that hasn't even arrived yet? And that crisis of leadership really pushed a lot of buttons for me. Um, I started to feel like a failure as a leader. I started to feel like a, a failure as a father, and I hadn't even technically become one at that point in time. And I started to question who I was and what I was bringing to the table. Uh, at that point, I discovered Simon Sinek, start with why his TED Talk, how great leaders inspire action, 18 minutes and 34 seconds of absolute gold, pushed all the right buttons for me and started helping me to realize what was going on for me and um, bring to the forefront who I am and what I bring. 
And it took me a while to go through that process, but I started to realize that I was pushing people's buttons in the wrong way. I was challenging authority, which I'd always done through my life in completely the wrong way. I was approaching the dialogue in a um, kind of a catabolic kind of way. I was damaging my environment. I was damaging the people I was leading and damaging the people I was communicating with. And it got me thinking, well, okay, I can sit here and point my finger at what I think is and isn't happening in the leadership development space in this organization. Or I can go and get qualified myself and actually get myself the development that I need for myself and then go and bridge the gap for the other people around me. And don't get me wrong, there was a whole heap of, um, I haven't got any better, you know, arrogance, conflict, you know, internal conflict, processing my own childhood traumas that came up out of this whole journey as well. And a real dynamic mixture of, of self-discovery. And then I came away from that. I was like, ah, oh, right, now I understand this. Now I can see how that works. Now I can see what it is I'm bringing. Okay. Let's, let's create that and become the coach, become the trainer and use that contact center environment actually as the launch pad to make that happen. And what I really learned from that is we can spend all this time pointing at other people, but if you're not actually pointing, pointing the finger at yourself and saying, what can I do about it? Where am I going? Yeah. Then all you end up doing is making yourself more frustrated because you're still pointing your finger at everyone else, but not doing anything about it. It's not changing your dynamics, it's not changing your space of what you bring because it's everyone else's fault rather than what you're doing and and that was the step that was the kind of that was kind of the 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 tipping point of all of that happening yeah almost eight years ago and that's been the eight eight year journey so far it's fascinating though isn't it that that's the kind of that moment um i think if ever you've been leading operations the moment you were talking about it and the emotions you were going through and how it affected your home life um i absolutely felt a connection <clears throat> with you because of i, I think back it's, it's this kind of desire to share and in inverted commas help it led to this kind of podcast if you like the kind of a passion for the industry but also wanting to be able to give people the vehicle to hear from the likes of you i i can remember i set up an outbound team we've gone from naught to a few hundred in a very short space of time and we were initially very successful and then we started to creak a little bit and that led to me having a daily call with people at a level that i never even i didn't even know who half of them were and it was i likened it to daily being dragged into like the Colosseum and just having all of these Caesars attack me mm. and every day I would try it, it got longer and longer the, the the day before the time I spent preparing my defense do you know what I mean and then I would come have this daily call and I even pulled over to make sure I could attend the call on the way to my Nana's funeral um, it was that much of a thing in my head and it was all driven by fear. Yep. Fear of now, of course, I know a lot of that was imposter syndrome. I never quite thought I deserved to be within that sphere of people. My team respected me, liked me. I loved being with them. But being with all of the senior leaders was, whilst I was quite confident, was terrifying. The moment then you start have getting everything pulled apart, it washes over into who you are as a person, how you are showing up at home for your for your children, all of these things. Now, that, if I could, you know, this is why I love mentoring and things like that. If I could go back, I'd just say, just, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. It doesn't mean any, you are good enough. Be, do, undertake the same thing you said, which I love, was this kind of, it starts with self-awareness. Mm. It starts with owning your weaknesses more so than anyone can ever pick at you and then working from that way, working inwards out. Yeah, because your outer world follows your inner world and it's not it's law of attraction, spiritual woo-woo. It's what you think internally happens externally. Um, I'll give you a, cat a categoric example of this. When I'm delivering feedback training, one of the things I teach people is what you think of people is how you treat them. And this isn't, you know, I learned this a few years ago, but it's written in the Bible, it's written in the Quran. You know, this stuff's been around for a long time. If you think someone's an idiot, how do you treat them? Mm. 
like an idiot. Yeah. And then if you treat them like an idiot for long enough, how do they start behaving? Like an idiot, yeah. Like an idiot, because you're paying them to do that. So well, if, you, if I'm your boss and I think you're an idiot, well, you think I'm that, you're paying me that, I might as well act one. Give me a spinning bow tie and a big pair of shoes and I might as well act the clown. Crack on. Yeah. So it's, it's this stuff in your head, this internal dialogue that you end up projecting out then starts to create the world around you but it then all these emotions come with it like you say the imposter syndrome and you'll start looking to do things to start self-sabotaging just to validate what you're seeing in your own head in the outside world you'll start looking for the problems classic error it kind of gets leads me onto a classic error of contact sensors is they're always looking for the error rate they always check in to see what mistakes you made and so, so when you get your quality results to make sure you've read everything off your script and you ticked it, well, it's 95% wrong, but 95% right. But you did this bit wrong. You did this bit. You missed this bit. You missed this bit. You didn't do this. Da, 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 da. Rather than, okay, what did I get right? Okay, great. And these are the bits you need to make sure you remember is this, this, this. And you're encoding that language and behavior into the brain. So actually when they get onto that phone call, oh, I need to remember to say this because it's really important to the customer because of this therefore and you're starting to build a different habit what happened for you is okay i've got to go and justify who i am to these people that i think are more important than me and and that would have been kind of a learned behavior maybe from school or from childhood or whatever and it just carries with you so now you've got to justify because people aren't happy with your results or you think they're going to scrutinize the results in a certain kind of way and this internal dialogue starts kicking up and you then think as you said you think it's actually the best thing for you to do to get onto a phone call before your nana's funeral. And yeah. actually, that's not okay. The place yeah. you need to be is in the car thinking about your family and the, and the place. Yeah. And, but we get this, we, we build this kind of internal dialogue. Of, this is what people think of us. Now we get calling this, I think you think this about me, which isn't true because what are you actually thinking about me? Nothing, because you're too yeah. busy thinking, what's he thinking about me? <laughs> yeah. And we're just like we're confusing ourselves with this internal kind of stuff. And it, as you said, it comes from that fear. Uh, and that's one of the key things that really kind of drives me and, and pushes a lot of buttons and flicks a lot of switches for me is when you boil everything down, when you take all this kind of internal dialogue and these challenges or whatever's going on, you boil it all down, it boils down to two fears. One is the fear of not enough, not good enough, not tall enough, not rich enough, resourced enough, intelligent, whatever it is. Uh, and the other one is the fear of losing love. And in, we don't talk about love in businesses because people in business don't say they love each other in most we businesses. We, and, we, and we need to, there needs to be more yeah. of this. It's the fear of losing respect, the, the fear of losing acknowledgement or merit or whatever it is. So we go into these situations and maybe we don't go for the job interview because, you know, I'm not going to go for your job interview because Martin went for it. And I don't want to upset Martin in case I get the job and he doesn't. So I don't apply for the job. Mm. Um, but then maybe um, I don't want to lose love. So maybe I don't apply for the job because if I, if I don't get it, maybe my wife will think less of me because I wasn't successful in the job. And we start making up all these BS stories in our own head about what we think other people think. And this fear starts to kind of bubble up and intensify and we end up getting stuck in it. It's like, oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, I don't know. Oh. And that imposter syndrome then starts turning into procrastination. Um, it starts turning into excuse making. The voice of the critic gets really loud. And all these different factors kind of, all these things just start to happen. And then what happens is we create stagnation and, and staleness. And we just stay where we are. And we don't take the job interview. We don't go for the, the additional um, kind of responsibilities to expand our skill set. And when you look inside the contact center, you can see people that are just going through the motion, picking up the phone 80, 100, 150 times a day, whatever they're doing. But they're not tapping into that unique ability they've got because they believe that actually they're not good enough to go and do that. They've got this fear in them. Or if they apply for the job, maybe the people in their team might think less of them if they do get it or don't get it. Oh, who do you think you are to go and get a job in marketing? Oh, all that sort of stuff. So we just keep picking up the phone. And I've looked out in those contact centers and I've seen the faces of young people going into these organizations because maybe they're at university or they don't think they're qualified to do something else. And I can see so much potentiality in these people. Uh, And you look at the ability of one person to mobilize 
know thousands of people or to come up with one idea that changes the world actually how many ideas are locked in your contact center inside your people but not going anywhere because they only think they're good enough to pick up a phone mm. and that shit really drives me really riles me i didn't check actually, i didn't check to see if squaring was okay on the podcast sorry martin i just i just have to change the button when i edit when i, when I publish it it's fine it's really simple <laughs> you um again it's one of those things where um looking at look at looking back and looking at when I was managing loads and loads of team leaders and we kind of understanding what coaching was right so first of all you had formal coaching it was prepared you had paperwork it was people came off the phones you delivered it it was written up put somewhere that was their one formal coaching session then understanding actually coaching is what you should be doing all day long kind of all day just informal stuff that you hear, stuff that you're saying. One of the things that I'd be interested to pick your brains on is how do you help people understand? Because I would just look at this big team of team leaders, look at how much coaching we were doing and think, I don't actually know if these guys are really effective at coaching people to make a difference to their lives. Because coaching isn't just, you said this, I want you to say this in this situation. It's like you've mentioned before, it's kind of tapping into who they are as people. I think we're far more evolved now in the industry, but there's probably going to be people listening who haven't got a clue as to how best to get their teams coaching effectively. And the importance of language, you meant you had an example just now around um, how do you phrase it? Do you, are you saying this is you are reinforcing positive behavior by saying this is what you've done well keep mm. doing more of that please and here are some areas you want to look at i imagine a lot of coaching sessions don't go like that definitely not and this is why it's uncommon skills in uncommon ways um because it's, i know i can go into a room and say how many people have had coaching training they all put their hands up and go come on then coach or show me what coaching looks like and i'm left kind of absolutely bemused and kind of confused at what's going on at its essence, coaching is two things. Asking lots of questions and or the right questions at the right time and doing lots of listening. That's primarily what it is. But there are so many little tiny nuances and kind of elements that need to be included to get great results. The bit that sits even before that as the skill set, and I say this and I teach this in feedback, it comes back to that. What you think of people is how you treat them. It's the intention that you're loading into the question. It's the intention that you're turning up with. It's how are you using that space for that individual to find themselves? Um, because everybody has the answer. Your brain is wired this way. So it's on a neuroscience level. If you ask yourself a question, it doesn't matter what the question is, you will find an answer. And it doesn't matter if you've seen it on a film, watched it on, or heard it on EastEnders or read it in a book, or even haven't got a clue. The moment you put a question in, your brain creates an answer, okay? So when we know that as coaches and we can then speak to people and we want them to kind of come up with their own conclusions, it's just about making sure that we've got the right question that supports that person finding out for themselves. Because who likes being told what to do? And I ask this question you know, categorically in every training that I do for feedback, for coaching, who likes being told what to do? No one. Well, Unless... Well, it, yeah, sometimes it, it means you have to think. Yeah, you don't have to think. And this is the problem. that if, if we're telling people all the time what to do, especially in the contact centre environment, how much more likely are they to not think for themselves? Um, because we're always tell, tell, tell. So then when you're not there and it's your day off and they're shifting on and they're doing overtime or whatever, and they're then doing this thing, and then you come back the next day, well, so why didn't you do that? Oh, you weren't here to tell me what to do. So I didn't do it. Oh, okay, so you need me be, to be here to tell you to do it. This is how the human brain works and because we're building up this behavior. The trick is, or the quick thing is though, is people don't like being told what to do unless it's them telling themselves. And right. everybody has the answer inside them. So if you ask the right question, I'm not talking about asking, I know what the answer is, so I'm gonna ask you this question in this kind of way so you say what's in my head. No, that's called a leading question, that's not coaching. I know that you've got the answer inside you. So I ask you the question so that you can come up with that conclusion yourself and that idea. And actually, 
that idea you have may be better than the idea I had anyway. So I get to benefit from a two-way conversation with an individual who's at the coalface doing the work because the further up the food chain we go as management and leaders, the more abstractive we become from the work and we need those ideas and information. So it's just encouraging that dynamic. The other thing that I see or have seen in certain contact centers is the use of coaching in floating speech marks as as a phone code. It's like, well, can you put yourself in coaching, please? Well, basically, that's just slang for put yourself in coaching because I'm about to give you a hard time because you've got your quality monitor wrong. Yeah. And you just you see the physiology shift. You know, I, I love coaching. I love asking people questions. I love people teaching. I love teaching people this stuff. And the moment I say, oh, can you put yourself in coaching? You just see the person almost, you know, sag and smash their face into their keyboard because they feel like they're going to be berated. Yeah. That's not what coaching's for. Yeah. But it's. It's a joined up conversation where that person can literally draw up the information, the experiences, the realizations and the reflections for themselves so that they can then do something better again the next time they get on that phone call, sale or to sell or to renew or to build up a customer relationship because they've learned what they did right or what they could improve from from the last time. It's, it's that intention. Am I using this space to hear what this person's saying and draw it up? Am I using this space to actually support them and educate them um, in the truest sense of the word? Um, am I using it because they are the most important person in the conversation? Or is it all about me ticking a box to make sure actually I've said what I needed to say and then you know we can fill another piece of paper in? That's the difference. I love it. Because it, this is just hearing you talking about this kind of stuff, it's one of my favorite things is I can remember so I had a team leader, she was brilliant. She was um, younger than the other team leaders. But, you know, you just look at someone and go, you're, you're going to be a star. I really, really want to be part of your story just to help propel you. But when it came to coaching, um, just didn't seem to jump at it with the same passion as some other things and didn't do the same numbers and all that kind of stuff. And I, I like an analogy it's, it hit me once around, um, I envisage, I realised just after speaking to her about why, why is, why is coaching this real issue for you? And it was just like a download of stuff, just a tidal wave of stuff. It remind, So then what I started to think about was if you've got two people going into a coaching session, you know that old board game, I think you're younger than me, a lot younger, but Buckaroo, so that if it, she, she was going into the session with stuff going on in her personal life, that's one thing. Her insecurities, because the, all of her team were older and more experienced than her, that was another thing. She was a new team leader, that was another thing. She was recognised as being talented and one for the future, that was something else. She'd had a couple of negative experiences with a couple of key people in the team, you know this, you know the the sort of people yep. they're kind of like the the lifers in prison. If you don't get them on side, you can forget it. So yep. she had a couple of negative experiences with them. She had all of these different things she was carrying into that coaching session. And then I thought, the person that she's going to coach is also coming into that session equally weighed down with other stuff. So then I saw my role then as trying to free everyone of that stuff to make the coaching session something pure. I know that sounds a bit mental, but... No, no, I'm with you. Does that make... Does that... Am I talking to a kindred spirit there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's mental. No, no, no. And this is the interesting... I've been using the buckaroo analogy for some time. Um, And I I say it like this is because that person you're working with, they put this thing on like... little plastic rope and they put this thing on like the backpack and then like they put this on like the sheriff's hat and all this but it's just emotional labeling mm-hmm. and again something i learned uh, from a previous mentor of mine is um labels are velcro not super glued and we can change those labels at any point but what we're doing again we come back to that what i think you're thinking of me well i'm younger than the people in my team so how are they going to respond to me as their as their leader um, oh, I'm deemed as talented in floating speech marks by the other people in my peer group. Oh, how are they going to respond to me if I make a mess of this coaching session? So we attach all these labels to ourselves and we end up playing emotional buckaroo. 
and you know it was fun with buckaroo we put the things on and then the the the, the mule bucks and shit goes everywhere and we pick all the pieces up so it doesn't really it's not really that pleasant when our emotions do that at the end of the day because we've hit us you know our stress pot is too full so the first thing is is kind of helping people to take the labels off and relabel themselves um, and it's about also understanding that if you're going into that place of what you think other people think of you is not true you know you're asking the question is it fact or is it fiction that's that's the cat is closed question categorically black and white is it fact or is it fiction and get people to really kind of start tapping into that and then okay so what are you bringing to this conversation what you know what questions are you going to be asking what are you doing to create the outcome out of this um, and the bit that keeps popping back in the way and I teach this time and time again is when you ask that person, why is this such a challenge at the moment? Why is, it, why is this a problem or potentially the, the language? You're tapping into emotions. The why question is one of the most powerful questions you can ask as a coach. And when I teach coaching skills, it's one of the key things I tell people to do very little, if at all. Because when I ask in, in the training, I say, okay, so what person in your life was the first person to ask you a question beginning with why? Parents. It's a parent. And I say, what's the reason? And they say, because I did something wrong. Yeah, why did you do that? Yeah, yeah. And then I say, and who, what was the next person to ask you a question beginning with why? And they say, oh, we're teaching. I said, what was the reason for that? And they go, because I did something wrong. And I was like, right, okay. So what do you think happens when you ask someone a question beginning with why if they've spent the first at least 16 years of their life being asked questions beginning with why, which is related to something they've done wrong. So when we do it as coaches um, or leaders or whatever, and we say, okay, why did you do that? What you actually do is subconsciously, you turn that person back into a three-year-old being told off by a primary caregiver and you'll get an emotional download. Now, depending on the relationship and the rapport you've got with the individual, we'll let you know how much of that question or um, to what level you can go with that question and how quickly. But most of the time you're going to get emotion you're going to get validation you're going to get justification and defensiveness and the same as asking a three-year-old you're going to get excuses most of the time why did you do that i don't know oh well <laughs> billy next door told me to do it oh my dog ate my homework yeah because you're pulling up the emotions you're attacking people's potential principles and we have to make sure as coaches as leaders we're thinking about intent versus impact okay what was the actual intent okay was the impact aligned to that most people don't wake up in the morning and think, do you know what, I'm going to make a mess of Martin's day today and, and really mess his business up. No, we don't think like that. So the moment that we start going with the why question, we're going to hit a nerve. And we, So we've got to first remove the labels, shift the language, because the moment you start asking a question beginning with why, it's because your emotions are coming up. You know, so, you know, your, your children do something or someone in your team does something, they're one and the same, your children at home and your children at work, they're one and the same thing is some they do something that doesn't line up with your expectation in your head it automatically fires up a question beginning with why you're then getting emotional you trigger an emotion from them and your conversation starts to escalate quite rapidly so as the example of your team leader there she's attaching all these labels to herself her emotions are starting to escalate the coaching questions aren't coming out in the right way because she's already starting to judge herself and judge the content of the conversation and as you said, we know with your why, why isn't this working for you? Your emotions are involved. You, you've got a vested interest in this individual. Emotional mm. download, absolute splurge and a purge of, of, of brain content. Um, so it's, it's, as a coach and as a leader is checking your language and what words are you using? Because they're an indication of what's going on in you emotionally as well. And how that's going to impact the people around you. And, and how that's going to pull and charge and trigger their emotions to get the best possible results. And... The, the, the thought that comes to mind is when you're approaching those people that are talent, that are working on things that do have this imposter syndrome and these, these challenging thoughts and the emotional buckaroo game going on, is the moment you judge someone, you can't influence them. And that includes yourself as well. Like I said earlier, if I think you're an idiot, I treat you like an idiot. Yeah. I'm not going to say anything that's going to support your development and your growth because I think you're an idiot, so why would I waste my breath? But we do it to ourselves we know we're very good at putting these putting these skills and concepts into play when we're leading individuals in our teams as, as leaders we say oh 
make sure you have a lunch break, especially if you're working at home, you know, make sure you have a lunch break and da 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 da. And what do you do at one o'clock? Or maybe you go to the canteen, grab a sandwich, and then you sit at your computer checking your email while you're eating your sandwich, which isn't good for your digestive system. So it's got to be making sure that actually, if we're doing this stuff for the individuals in our team, that we're doing it for ourselves. Because if I'm judging myself as incapable of having a coaching conversation because this person's older than me, I'm not going to have a coaching conversation with this person because of what I actually think of myself, not because of their age. So it's got to, we've got to really drill back, distill, look at what some of those labels are, take them off, stop the judgment, get really empathetic with ourselves so we can be more empathetic with our people. How do you, um, it's re that's really informative. How do you, what do you train people then or what do you tell them? Because I imagine the, the why thing is just so interesting. I'd never thought about that before, but I imagine people instantly will say to you, which I'm going to now, um, mm. what do you replace it with then? Exactly that. It is kind of, you have to shift it. So what I suggest to people is we ask what to find why, never why to find what. If you look at your open questions, the, the old uh, analogy of the five bums on the rugby post, which most people know when they look at coaching, is all the questions on there can be changed to be questions beginning with what. I start the training session, where's, you know, where's the toilets to do the housekeeping? Well, what's the location of the toilet? Um, what's the time and date rather than when is the fire drill? What first aiders do we have in the room? So I demonstrate this as part of my training. The moment we get into the why question, the one is, like I say, to check your emotions. Well, where are my emotions, which is then front loading this question? Okay, how can I change that question to a question beginning with what? So then what we're doing is we're actually creating a certain level of space and objectivity to actually work in. Okay, I can see the why question coming up. I can see my emotions. Let's breathe. Okay, let's focus. Okay, intent versus impact. What was the thinking that caused this to happen? And I'm not saying, why did you do it? I'm saying, I'm asking, what is the thinking that's caused this? Yeah. So I create the space of the person. It almost becomes like the third object. It becomes a third entity. It's not about, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the thing. Let's talk about that that's caused it because I want to understand what's happening. I want, I'm, I'm curious to know how I can help you. And in order to do that, I need to see what the steps are that led up to this. So what was it that caused this to happen? Oh, okay, it looks like this. And by doing that and having that breath, that refocus, I can then realign the question. I get more information from the person as the coach and the leader. I love it. It's just, it's the application of thought, isn't it? I, um, strangely enough, it came outside of work. I was coaching my son's football team for a good few years from, coached them from eight until um, 16. And I, you mentioned something earlier around, I made a conscious effort in everything I did whether collectively or with individuals, that what I would say would be predominant would be positive to enhance their experience of playing and just enjoy enjoy football. But so when you start doing that, one of the things that I noticed that all, always stuck with, and I'm sure a lot of other coaches will can recognise this, is the parents were a nightmare. <laughs> it, they obviously wanted their children to do really well. They wanted them to enjoy it. But the things that they used to say in games and, and shout were at odds with what you'd been saying in training and how you talked about the game because it was straight into that kind of, like you say, there's no filter. It's just emotion. Yeah. It was just straight into you. Why have you done that? Why didn't you pass it? Why didn't you score? Or I've even saw parents after their, after a good move or a goal even, criticize their their son this guy scored a great goal lovely left foot he had um scored a great goal as he was running back celebrating with the rest of the team his dad was shouting at him about something he did a couple of moves before and you just that whole you know coaching is is life Co coaching is is language but it takes that kind of conscious effort to be thinking i'm just going to start thinking mm -hmm. That, and that's is pausing and breathing and going into that space. So when I did my coaching qualification, uh, however many years ago it was, I had to do 100 hours of documented coaching. So every single hour, though, I had to spend time going back through my notes, doing the reflection, what worked, what didn't work. Okay, what are the improvements? What did I learn from the last session that I implemented in this session? What am I going to implement in the next session? And 
as a result of going through the qualification, that you don't need to get qualified as a coach to be a coach. It's, it's the mindset and a behaviour as much as it is a skill set. But by going through those those hours, every single time I did a session, the conversation adjusted. So within 20 hours, I was coaching completely different. Within 30 hours, again, I was coaching completely differently. By the time I got to 70 hours, I was a, I was you know a completely different person in that dynamic. And I was getting to a point where oh, I understand what my specialities are. I understand what my niche is. I understand what questions to ask to actually get inside of that space. But it's going through that. When you look at coaching, leadership, and parenting how many people truthfully get taught how to be a leader mm. how many people actually get taught how to be a parent it's very few and if you go in there, and how many people at school get taught how to communicate how many people at school are taught how to actually listen or how to ask the right questions that wouldn't actually start to put emotional labels on themselves let alone their own children because when you get into the parenting piece and i don't know where this quote came from but it's so true your outer voice becomes their inner voice. Wow, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, and so when you start to look at the man on the sideline shouting at his kids, what's going to be that? What's going to be the voice of the critic sounding like? And actually, that's where it's coming from. That's, where it's, that's what's driving that voice. It can either be the voice of the critic or the voice of the champion. That's very powerful. It's giving me goosebumps, that is. Nice, good. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. And this is this is my sole reason is just sharing these concepts, uncommon skills in uncommon ways that get incredible results. Because the more people that think like that, it changes the game. You will go and have a conversation with your kids in a different way as a result of this. Mm-hmm. Someone listening to this, a leader will go, holy shit, I'm going to now have this conversation in a different way. And then we, we ramp up a bit and we say, well, actually, leading and parenting are not two sides of the same coin. They're one and the same thing. Mm-hmm. Whether you're biological, primary, whatever, the moment you're caring for someone in your gift, you you are a you and you become a parent. It's the same skill set in one of those in both those places, and that's why I said earlier is they become like your work children. So when I'm leading a team, they become I treat them like my children, not like a child. And actually, I want them to, as any right-minded parent, I want them to supersede me. I don't want them to be equal to or less than me because that's not a parent's responsibility or a leader's responsibility. The responsibility is to give them all the stuff that I've got for them to be the more, you know, as, as, as incredible as they can be so that they can then add that to the experiences they've got from the first part of their life and their experience and stuff and then create that new version which makes me obsolete in the long run because I'm not going to be here forever. They're going to be here longer than I am. So if I give this information to a 20-year-old at 42, I know that they're going to they're have a head start on when I started learning this stuff at probably 36, 37. I give that to them. They go further than I did, which is what, that's what evolution is all about. Um, but there are very few leaders that see that way around. They want to kind of play. They want to keep their favourites. They want to keep a team where it is so they can continue that dynamic. But the longer we hold people like that and we don't let them go and do the thing, actually the more dangerous they become. They become you know, toxic, stagnant uh, and stale and they'll actually damage your results in the long run rather than actually excelling your results. So we've got to encourage people to grow and flow and go. I'm, I'm still, I'm positively sh- shook. <laughs> <laughs> Shooketh. Um, <laughs> your outer voice becomes their inner voice. That's great. That is brilliant. I love it. One of the things um, you mentioned earlier, which I just wanted to go back and ask you about, was um, the, the, you were talking about the concept of fact versus fiction, mm. right? So there's kind of those probing questions. Is it fact? Is it fiction? The extent to which I, I, the, a weapon that I think, again, is you have to help people wield it is candle. Um, you know, being candid in those kind of those kind of conversations. How do you... What's your view on that? How do you bring that to play? It is a fine art, and it's still, I think, a long journey for many people. Uh, so there's two elements. One is you have to be radically honest and transparent with people. You, you can give them all the positive information in the world, it's absolutely fine. But as a coach and a leader, you have to be asking the right questions in the right way to get that person to kind of have that realization and, you know, give them the feedback in the right way. I'm not here to break people. I'm here to have a conversation with people so they can actually see what is and isn't working for them, what needs to be improved and what needs to be tweaked and adjust. If I can't be candid with them and honest with them and, and do all of those things, 
that person isn't going to get the best of me. They're not going to get the best of themselves. I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it for them. It comes back to who is the most important person in the conversation. Now, if I can't tell you or share with you or do whatever those things in an honest way, then we're not going to have a relationship as a coach or as a leader in order for that to happen. So there has to be that, that you know, dynamic of exchange. Um, yeah, there was another element that just popped into my head. It's, and also there's, a, there's an art to doing it as well. It, it comes back to that signposting piece. When I'm leading a training, when I'm having a conversation, what's the reason I'm in the conversation? It is, and this is my reason. I am challenging people's thinking so that they can take control of key elements of their lives, expand the greatest version of who they are and become more incredible than yesterday. It's the first words that come out of my mouth every single day. So when I go into a conversation, I've dealt with people that are having anxiety attacks in the contact center floor and they can see me coming and you can kind of, you almost, you're not sure whether they're lighting up or they're kind of uh, upset or scared because they know what the dynamic of the conversation is. We sit in a nice quiet room and say, look, you know how, you know the reason I'm here? And they said, yeah. Okay, so what am I going to do? You're going to ask me lots of questions. Yeah. And what's going to happen? It's going to get a bit uncomfortable. Okay. Are you ready for this? Yeah, okay. And you can, see, you can see the concept, but they know why I'm going to be in the conversation. They know why I'm doing it because I'm absolutely clear on what my purpose is and I will come to that. So I will ask the questions to get them to pull up as much information as possible so they can start going through it. Because if I don't do that for them and I don't hold the mirror up for them so they can see themselves, how are they going to find out what they need to be working on, developing on the direction they could be going for themselves, more importantly, not just the business. But if I'm not honest with them, and I hold stuff back from them, same with parenting and leadership. If, I, if I'm holding stuff back from people, how are they going to grow as individuals? I've got to be there to help them see themselves in all their glory. And it's, I learned this myself from my own reflection, that love and happiness have got nothing to do with each other. You know, I see plenty of people that say they're in love and they're definitely not happy. Um, <laughs> and I've been married or been in a relationship with my wife for 21, 22 years, something like this, 21 years. And it hasn't always been happy. But as a result of that, what I've come to understand is the, the definition of love is trusting someone enough to give them the mirror so that you can see all your own shit reflected back in it. And what I come as a leader and as a coach is I say to people, look, you know what? I may cry. You may cry. We may laugh together. You may get upset. There may be frustration. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you questions so that I can hold the mirror up and you can see yourself and you can work out the areas that you want to work on, that you want to leave behind, that you want to develop. Because if we can't do that, I can't do this. This relationship's not going to work. So for me, it's category knowing who I am, what I'm bringing, and being able to articulate it in such a way to an individual in my team that makes them really comfortable to say, oh, shit, here comes Nathan. I know exactly what's going to happen now. And still get into the conversation. And it's that kind of... If you set expectations, people know that, you know, that is the definition of leaving their comfort zone, right? You kind of, you're going to be taking them out of it in a supported way for their own development. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because, and you talk about the comfort zone, Neil Donald Walsh said, you know, life begins at the edge of your comfort zone. But your comfort zone will either shrink or expand in accordance to where you stand in relation to the edge of it. So if you're always in the middle of it, it will shrink wrap you accordingly. And I see that with a lot of people. And that's where we see anxiety and depression really starting to the mental health challenges in the workspace really come up because people feel like they can't move and they haven't got any wiggle space. But they get worried that fear then kicks in if they stand outside of their comfort zone, actually they'll be, uh, am I good enough to be out there? Am I capable? Will people think less of me or whatever for doing this sort of stuff? Well, actually your brain is wired for comfort and to keep you safe. That's how the human species has survived so many years but your soul, uh, you know, at a spiritual level is actually designed for expansion. So you've got your brain trying to keep you small and you've got your soul trying to do this. So there's this push and pull dynamic going on. It's actually, you know what? You've got to be outside your comfort zone. Otherwise, the, the alternative option actually is kind of anxiety and depression, and especially in the workspace, which is just not healthy for anyone, including the bottom line. Mm. And if you think about <clears throat> mental health, it leads me on to just ask, ask your advice on this current situation we find ourselves in yeah. um, what advice do you have for people who are having to manage now remotely and undertake coaching conversations remotely there's a whole new dynamic to this 
some of the key elements in there is, and I know this from a lot of contact centers, is people were asking to be home workers and businesses were saying, no, we haven't got the infrastructure, we don't have the money, we don't have da 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 whatever. Two weeks later, COVID turned up and everyone was home working. So there's this, this underlying, whether it's conscious or subconscious of, hold on a minute, they said we couldn't do that, but now because of this has happened, actually, so what else are they not telling me? So there's a little bit of this kind of playing as well. For those, so it's just being mindful and keeping making sure that you, that, that candidness, that, that honesty, having open conversations, keeping the dialogue as open as possible. I'm working at home, they're working at home. Okay, how do I make sure I keep the communication flow? How do I make sure that they know where I am because they can't see me? We knew it was a problem in the office. You know, you walk back in the contact center and someone says, oh, where have you been for the last hour and a half? Well, I've been in a project meeting. Well, we didn't know where you were and this is broken and this person, and we've got this complaint. So if it was a problem of face-to-face, I'm pretty sure a sky is blue. It's a massive problem right now, okay? Yeah. So, it, so it is knowing where people are and knowing how to contact them at the fastest times as well and, and being able to have that conversation. Um, using the spaces that we've got. You know, again, it comes back to that blame culture, that victim mindset is, well, actually, what can I do? What do what resources do I have available? What platforms can we use? How do I make sure that I'm staying connected with these people? How do I make sure that they're doing everything to, to look after themselves? Because we're now miles away and we're not in the same space. Okay, how do we, when we're not in lockdown, make sure that we do come together at regular intervals at the office to actually connect with each other? Um, how do we make sure that we encourage significant downtime off the laptop? I was on my laptop all day yesterday um, and my chair isn't the most ergonomic chair in the world. And I've got, you know, pain in my leg from doing it and my eyes hurt and I was on the computer until half past 10. I didn't sleep very well. Okay, if we're doing this in a contact center space working from home, how are we making sure that we've got our checks and balances in place for our individuals? And I think that is in, in part one element of it. The other element of it is, well, as I said earlier, is if we're making sure people in our teams are doing it, we've got to be leading that example. I've got no right to tell anyone what to do. It, it categorically, you have no right to tell anyone what to do. The only thing that you can do is two things, is be the example and be the invitation. So as a leader in a team, if I'm saying you need to make sure you're having a lunch break, you do that. You need to be off of your computer screen for 20 minutes every four hours. I need to be doing that as well. Um, you need to be stretching and moving. I need to be doing that as well. I need to be going outside and decompressing the tech so that actually I can get in greenery and adjust my eyes and increase my flow of endorphins and, and beneficial chemi chemicals. Um, if it's warm enough, take your, take your shoes and socks off and stick your feet in the grass. It's actually really good for you. It helps blood circulation and kind of get rid of some of the, the toxins in your system. It helps um, blood flow. Um, all these little things, but we need to be demonstrating that to our people. And that might be you do your conference call while you're sitting on, you know, sitting on your lawn. It might be, um, I, don't, I don't know, the, I've seen some nice gift packages going around to people that maybe you have a nice cup of coffee with your team because you send them a nice coffee set. You do things that create connection in different ways with the dynamic you've got. I'll bring it back to that coaching. People would say, people would say oh, I haven't got time to do that. Oh, I couldn't get a meeting room. Oh, I couldn't find an hour, you know, 60 minute slot to have that coaching session. Okay, well, what time have you got? Well, I've got 10 minutes here. Okay, so I have a coaching session. Oh, I can't coach in 10 minutes. Well, what's coaching? I was just asking questions. Listen, what's, you can't ask a question in 10 minutes and listen to what the answer is. But people get confined by this. I can only do this if it looks like this. It's almost um, it's like a checklist rather than a menu. So we end up saying, well, I can only do this. It's only success. I can only be healthy if I drink three liters of water a day. I go to the gym every day. I eat uh, 3,000 calories. I do this. Okay. But because you don't tick all those things, you feel unhealthy. And you go, well, I couldn't, I'm not healthy, so I might as well just eat pizza five days a week. Yeah. And it's the same with our coaching and leadership is we have this, this checklist of things. Well, I couldn't do that. So I didn't bother. That's okay. Well, what could you do? Well, I could have done that and I could have done that. Oh, okay. So what one of those would you like to do right now? Well, I could do that. Oh, okay, great. Go and do that. Let me know how it goes. On. Oh, it was really good. Nathan. Okay, fantastic. How are you going to do that again? And they go, okay. Well, so we start using the menu so we can start choosing things from the starters, the main courses and desserts to make sure that we're building more of that connection and having more of a dialogue. But like I say, it's got to be really, here's the dynamics of things that we can do. 
So whether it's, and I've got the list here, you know, checking your breath and breathing and taking time to breathe and making sure you're sitting right when you breathe. Going outside and adjusting your eyes, because if I'm staring at the screen, it's causing my eyes, it's causing a problem with my eyes. Get your know, blue light reflector or deflectors or whatever and filters and get them on. Um, get outside, change your focus, change your brain. Pay attention to your senses, get back into your senses. We, we do this in CBT and, and uh, mental health first aid, etc. using those questions. Okay, tell me something you can feel, something you can see. Getting people out of their head so they can just kind of become more conscious of their body and how they're actually feeling. Um, notice you in a dialogue. Is it the voice of the critic speaking? And go back to the questions, use good coaching questions. And people can do this on themselves with their own voice of the critic. They say, uh, okay, yeah, but the voice of the critic said this. Okay, great. How about asking a question? Okay, thanks very much, Mr. Critic, Mrs. Critic. Tell me three things that I could put in place to make this more successful. And the voice of the critic goes, oh, thanks for asking me. You know, I really appreciate you know, taking the time to get my opinion. And well, if you do this, this, and this, actually it will make it better. Ah, because you can have an argument with yourself. We, you know, we end up talking to ourselves in our own head anyway. We just don't want to talk to the inner critic because we think it's somebody else or it's damaging, but actually it's just another voice in your own head. So if you ask it the right question, you can change it from the voice of the critic to the voice of the champion. Now, is this fact? Is it fiction? What else can I do? And just start to monitor some of these things and, and use some of these elements or suggestions with your team to build a relationship. But as the leader, you've got to do it yourself because if you're not role modeling the behavior, if you're not leading the team in what's absolutely right for you and showing them what's important to you as an individual, how can you expect them you know, to, to follow that. How often do we say, do as I say, not as I do? And then we say that as parents all the time. And what do the kids do? Exactly as you did. Yeah. And then you wonder why there's a problem. Um, so it's the same with our good behaviors and our bad behaviors or good and bad behaviors in flowing speech marks again, but is just think about what those elements are. How do I use all the resources I've got? What can I do to encourage people to do this? What would be something nice to do at the end of lockdown? I remember one of the best team events I had ever. I made everyone pancakes. I invited everybody to my house and we made and I made pancakes for everyone before we went to a go ape treetop adventure thing with the whole team. Um, and it was just, it brought everyone together, you know, at seven o'clock in the morning making, eight o'clock in the morning making breakfast. But it was me making them pancakes. It just changes the dynamic of the conversation, just coming up with different ideas and, and ways to connect. So everyone comes into the fold and they can see how you're leading, how you're behaving and, and, and how you're parenting that, that space as well. Um, and then, you know, then you can have a different conversation with people. Nathan, this has been enlightening. I've definitely, I've definitely learned, um, learned a lot. It's given me a lot of food for thought and I'm sure the people that, have, that are listening will think the same as well. We definitely got to get you back on and carry this, carry this conversation on um, if there are people listening that want to kind of get in touch with you in the meantime, um, what's the best way for them to do that? Best route at the moment is through LinkedIn. And um, what I'm doing on LinkedIn, which I'm really loving, I'm loving engagement. I'm doing a free training on Tuesday at one o'clock GMT every week, different elements of leadership. It's only for 30 minutes. So it's short, punchy, once a week, lunch break, lunchtime learnings to give people those core concepts and skills that some of the foundations I'm talking about just to shift the dynamic of what they're doing. So if they come to me on LinkedIn, you look for Nathan Simmons, leadership trainer, leadership coach, um, and you see the man with the beard and the glasses, um, and, and that'll be me. Just click, let's have a conversation. I'd really enjoy it. Nathan, thank you very much for coming on. It's been brilliant. Thanks, Martin. Hope you enjoyed that, everyone. Uh, feel free to contact Nathan for any inquiries or find out more about any of the things he spoke about and stay safe and see you soon. Yeah. <laughs>